So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the first riot of the Luddites. Then on Tuesday, we unearthed the mad coincidence of the day two different Dennis the Menaces made their comic strip debuts. On Wednesday, the day the Spanish conquered the last Maya kingdom. Thursday was the day Colonel Sanders sued KFC. And on Friday, we recall how Vincent van Gogh's sister-in-law made his name. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to For Everyone's Sake, the Formula One podcast that has now eclipsed Ayrton Senna in terms of internet shows released. It's good, but, I mean, Ayrton Senna didn't release any internet shows. Shut up. Welcome to For Everyone's Sake, the podcast that is threatening to leave podcasting because we've ditched our microphone contract and Mercedes won't give us new microphones. Ferrari have offered us some microphones, but they're last year's microphones. They're rubbish microphones. They won't let us speak very loudly. Welcome to For Everyone's Sake, the podcast that is home to tortuous analogies. See above. It's a good name for a band. Tortuous analogies. Welcome to For Everyone's Sake, the Formula One podcast that makes people want to register a complaint with the European Union. We are so bang up to date. I'm Chica Ayres, and today we discuss the return of the status quo. No, not the band. Allegations of foul play and, as usual, an entire megastore of toys being hurled out of prams. And I'm pretty sure for one week only, surprisingly few jokes about Pastor Maldonado. That's all to come. And joining us in a monument just outside Euston Station where they only sell cider for cash is a motoring journalist who, like Red Bull Racing, is thoroughly fed up with Renault engines, but is unlikely to replace his Clio with a Ferrari. Although Ferrari do want to offer me uh, one of last year's cars, I will happily accept it. Yeah, my, (laughs) you know know about, I don't know, 15 episodes ago, I complained that the engine from my Clio had given up the ghost. Well, I bought a new new one. Oh, did you? Um, And uh, and the delivery company lost it. So my car's sitting in a specialist with no engine in it, uh, and they've now sent me another engine, which has actually got there, but I still haven't got it back. It's been a month now. Rubbish. That's why I'm going to Ferrari, or I'm just leaving. Wow, okay. It wasn't right, I hadn't even said your name at that point. It's Phil Troman. Hello. <laughs> Phil makes all bad about what we've accomplished by telling us about what you've accomplished, and now you've got over your, your engine rant. Well, I've not been anywhere, because it's only been a week since the last podcast, and my car doesn't have an engine in it. So I've not got much to report. I've got a new iPhone. Success. Okay. And? It's pretty good. It's the same as the old one. I just haven't run out of space on it yet. But you haven't got it strapped to your body yet. You've got yet. 3D touch. Uh, yeah, it, uh, I haven't really used it. What? How, could, how can you not use it? It's just, I don't see the need. And the sound of the man going, there is Terry Saunders. Hi. Hi, Terry. Now, I mean, I hate to say it, you don't look at your best. I'm not feeling very well. I think it's the Formula One's fault. Are you still hungover from getting up at five o'clock in the morning to watch the race? When I was nine, getting up at six a.m. for a race was—I would say—exciting. Now I'm thirty-five. I don't think I can do it anymore. I got up at six a.m. for Saturday and Sunday, and ever since then, I felt like shit. Why can't they put the race on at a decent time? This is two days on I know and I feel <laughs> awful I honestly feel like I could go to bed right now and wake up for the Russian Grand Prix my life is over I could be wrong but I swear when I was sort of in my early teens it, the Japanese Grand Prix was always like the middle of the night 
Not, not like sort of six in the morning. It was like three in the morning. If I imagine this. No, I think it used to be because I think they've shifted it. I think local time it starts at about three or four o'clock. No, it's true because when the sad one last year, it was because they pushed the start time back so late. It was getting dark, wasn't it? And that's true. Okay, so they just did it for European audiences. Yeah. But not enough because one, they just it's still. Six well, you'd in the feel morning. worse if you'd have got up at three or something. Well, I suppose you could just could have stayed up. But at three, I kind of think I'd probably not bother. 6am feels the replay. 6am with 6am alarm, go downstairs. Did you go back to sleep after it finished? I went during. Oh dear. I, I, most of the race was me but just But it was fighting. so exciting all the way through. It was just me fighting sleep. It was just me like drooping and uh, horrible. But we've well, learned from it, so just, just record it in Have future. I? <laughs> Have I? When's the next City Time race? Uh, Brazil, probably? When's that? No, that's behind, isn't it? I'll probably be ready. I don't know. Whatever it is, no, no. guarantee I'll get up in time for it. But I haven't learned my mistakes, basically. Is there anything new with you? Well, actually, there is something I've done glamorous, actually. Um, it wasn't in the last week, though. It was the week before. But last week, it was so exciting with my theory test, I forgot to tell you about it. I have been to the coast to be in a very top-secret advert for the television. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. I can't tell you too many details. I thought, you, I thought you'd taken a step back from the limelight in terms of uh, this was all thanks being to an office-bound man now. This was all thanks to my wife winning a competition and hashtagging a photo, and now I get to read out some famous poetry next so, to the sea. Wh- which poem? It's, which poem uh, and which sea? This is important. The sea, I believe, was the English Channel. And the I've heard poem of that one. Yep. was by John Cooper Clarke. Oh, oh. oh so it's yeah. quite, quite, quite modern. It's very oh. modern. Okay. Had a big beard, I had to drink tea. So what's it an advert for? National Trust. This is all top secret, though. Oh. Okay, Because I'm not allowed... Okay. They did say, don't tell anyone on social media, but they didn't say, don't say anything <laughs> on a Formula One podcast. <laughs> You're not breaking embargoes no. here, are you? I don't... No. So you're fine. Well, the, uh, it's dangerous get, because I'm sure there's a lot of Formula One fans that are also members of the National Trust. I mean, the, the two go Trust. hand in hand. National Trust are big subscribers of this. So. I'm sure yeah, they are. Yeah. Hey, um, Chica, what have you been up to this week? Well, it's all sort of been eclipsed by the fact that I got home last night and my entire house was flooded. No. Every, oh, shit. Everything had black water in it. Sewage. So it smelled disgusting. Oh, God. And, and, and just to clarify, floor. that's not usual. That's, I mean, there's a lot of us in that house, but that is, that's more than usual. Are you in a shared house? Uh, yeah. So whose fault was it? Six of us. We're a hairy bunch, so I think it might be that. So we have breaking news on today's podcast, because it has literally just been announced, although obviously this won't be the same as when it's broadcast, that the uh, Haas team have decided who is going to be in their drivers for 2016. We had a bet on this of who it was going to be, and uh, it was going to be the person who got it right has the first round of drinks uh, this evening. So should we should we go through who we guessed? Well, clearly it's going to be Roman Grosjean because everyone knows that, and it's the second. And why, why do we know this though? Well, it's been in, an open secret for weeks. In part, everyone knows because they keep talking about it. And secondly, bef- the the link that the Haas team <laughs> used to announce they've got a new driver coming, the URL was called haasf1.com slash grows your new driver <laughs> which they put out like when you, oh, when you want to see who our new driver is click on this link we'll be announcing it later it's like yeah okay, hashtag Haas F1 team selects Grosjean driver yeah it wasn't subtle at all so for the first round of drinks for this podcast Terry who did you guess I think for the second driver definitely Nigel Mansell on a late comeback I said Magnussen and I said Gutierrez and as it turns out they only announced Grosjean so 
Which we to me is the most drinks. compelling part of the story. Why have a big press conference announcing both your drivers and then only announce the one driver when the other drivers, I mean, apart from even including Mansell, none of them are under contract, none of them are racing it elsewhere. Well, maybe Formula E, but that doesn't count. Well, I suspect, because I think it's going to be Esteban Gutierrez, what races have we got coming up? I think they're going to announce it in Mexico. Why? Because he's Mexican. Oh, right, okay. And his father is Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about the Japanese Grand Prix, which was, of course, at the weekend. First of all, what we predicted. Oh, yeah. I don't know. What did we predict? Terry, you Hi. were absolutely wrong. You said Rosberg in first. Yep. Second Vettel, yep. third Kvyat. Stand by that. It was wrong. But <laughs> I said Hamilton, Vettel, then Raikkonen. Ooh. So, you know. It's pretty it? close. But, Phil, the champion of predictions this week, you nailed it. Hamilton, Rosberg and Vettel. It's hard to convey smug on the radio, but I like to think I'm, I'm doing a pretty yeah, good job. Yeah, but come on. It was the same as last year, so you just copied last year's. And those Didn't three necessarily mean it was going to be the same. <laughs> those three have been on the podium eight times this year, often in that order. That's like me predicting... Uh, tomorrow is probably going to be Wednesday. By the way, we're recording this on a Tuesday. There's no flair in your predictions. You're just predicting what's so probably going to happen. So you think I should happen. be going for style rather than accuracy? I have at least styled it out. I'm surprised I didn't put Mansell in there, I'm honest. <laughs> All right, next race. Um, Mansell, Mansell, Mansell. to win. We'll do predictions at the end. Okay, let's start with Mercedes. The reigning champions, Hamilton in first and Rosberg, of course, in second. Not that you'd blooming know it if you watched the race. No, exactly. They, I think they covered him crossing the line and that was about it. Now, why is this? So there was hardly any coverage of the Mercedes. Well, I don't know if we've got a, uh, I don't know if we've got a little jingle for Conspiracy Corner. You may have noticed that Merck and Ferrari got rather limited TV coverage. Now, the TV coverage is controlled by Formula One management. They have the say on how that works, and it's all their thing that Bernie does from Biggin Hill in his little secret bunker. Who is it that's threatening Red Bull's future by not giving them engines, or not giving them the engines they want? Me. Oh. That's right, it's Terry Saunders. It's not Terry Saunders. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's Merck and Ferrari. But I wonder if, if this is Bernie this going, theory? stop messing up. I want to keep Red Bull because they're bringing a load of money. Interesting. What do you think? I, I might be reaching at straws here, but well, apparently it was a bit weird. Bernie has done this in the past with Force India at a Grand Prix years ago, where they they thought it was all getting too dangerous. They refused to take part in the practice, and then during the race, they were mysteriously not covered at all. I've no evidence to back that up at all. But it was a bit weird that they didn't seem to get much coverage. Although, having said that, apart from the first couple of laps, wasn't a huge amount going on with them. It was just. It was, uh, as we said in the intros, back to the status quo again. But they didn't um, even cover the pit stops. The, the, the off the line where Lewis squeezed Rosberg, that wasn't really seen. You only saw it from well, like a weird camera. Well, they showed it live. I don't really. Think, did they do any... Yeah. They, <laughs> they didn't cut away and just... No, they kind of, they kind of did. Cause the, well, you sure you weren't just distracted by Perez skittering off No, but the, the camera panned and they kind of went out of shot. So, so as we had no, no cars to look at, I thought <laughs> the, the uh, reactions of uh, Hamilton and Rosberg afterwards were quite interesting. Well, the big issue with Mercedes was the uh, start off the line. So uh, practice was curtailed by Kvyat's acrobatics. And so nobody got to do their last round of qualifying laps. And consequently, Rosberg was on pole. So it's all about the getaway. But Hamilton did a better job of it. And he squeezed up the inside in turn one and he stayed there for turn two. And then it got to turn, uh, into turn two. 
Hamilton sort of understeered towards the edge of the track from his inside line, and Rosberg had a choice of either braking, going off the track, or smashing into Hamilton. I didn't see any of this. I think my How did you miss this? It was right at the start of the race. I thought it was the conspiracy. Maybe this, my tennis broke. No, this, this was definitely there. Oh. God, I was asleep. Well, we'll look, we'll look forward to more sort of mad sleep-inspired <laughs> inspirations from you I later mean, the on. Bit with a giraffe. But the, uh, the the big question was: was this a bit naughty of Hamilton? Should he have given him a bit more room? It was naughty of Rosberg not to fucking do anything. For God's sake, man! It's the, near the end of the season. If he's got any chance, he's got to at least bash Hamilton off the off the racetrack, carry on going. He'll get twenty-five points. It's the time's too late for this shit. But instead, he shimmied on back to fourth, and then at the end was like, "Really well done, really well done." Rosberg is becoming Lewis Hamilton's number one fanboy. Every time <laughs> on the podium, he's like, "Oh God, he's great, isn't he?" <laughs> Isn't he great? I can't believe it. It's a pleasure to drive behind him. Oh, I think what what he should have done on the podium is Rosberg should have done that kind of very manly chest push and said, you nearly try to kill me and chest push, right? And then there'd have been a bit of argy-bargy and then everyone would have been like, oh, Rosberg's got it on him today. So you want a bit more NASCAR? Yeah, and then what would happen over this next week, because Lewis, we know, is very fragile, he'd be all going, oh, God, Nico doesn't like me. And then the next few races, he'd lose it. Rosberg would romp home and get a close championship victory. Instead, he just backs off and goes, oh, there's a there's a bus in my path. I better give way. Well, in fairness to uh, to Rosberg, I believe Hamilton does have a black belt in a martial art of some sort, possibly karate. Maybe he was aware of He's that. He's not going to use it, is he? It would be brilliant if he did on the podium. He just roundhouse kicks him to the floor. Hamilton said, it's quite an emotional day. I'm full of joy and happiness and light. He's got away with words lately, hasn't he? <laughs> Can I also say quickly, Absolutely. Rosberg did some great excuse making in the pre-podium room in German. I can't really speak German, but I could tell when him and Vettel were talking, he was going, oh, God, at the start, I had no power. At the start, no oh, power. Yeah. Oh. Tracking was oh. off. He also claimed to have a headache, didn't he, right at the beginning? <laughs> Hamilton claimed to have a headache. Oh, it was Hamilton? Yeah, Hamilton flat out spotted his tyres way before his pit stops and was basically running on 50p pieces on his front tyres. So he was basically just getting all the way. And uh, apparently by the time he was came in for pits, he, he had a stinker of a headache. And was he said, he knew, I, th- I think he said something along the lines of, I've never been so relieved to get new tyres. That's totally fair. But before the race started, Rosberg had a headache. Oh, in that case, so that's, a good, uh, that's a good excuse then. Okay, so let's move on to Ferrari. Vettel in third and Raikkonen in fourth. Pretty solid, wasn't it, really? I mean, Mercedes are back to their usual dominance, so they didn't really have any chance of catching them then. But Ferrari are doing a pretty good job of stamping their authority on, on second. It means uh, they're they clearly quicker than Williams. So they're undoubtedly the number two team now? I think so. Vettel's still better than Raikkonen, which I don't think any of us were really surprised about. Um, no, I'm not surprised by that whatsoever because Raikkonen I- is a shadow of his former self and he should stop no. Well, I don't. I'm, I'm not a big Raikkonen fan in terms. I like him as a person and a personality, but I don't think he's that great. He a could replace David Coulthard on the coverage because I'm fucking sick of David Coulthard. I just finished David Coulthard's autobiography. <laughs> you should read it. It's really funny. Was it written by Andrew Benson? No, it wasn't. It was ghostwritten by somebody, and really badly, I should suggest. But it does have some quite funny stuff in it because David Coulthard, whatever you think of him, is somebody who doesn't really give a crap what other people think of him, and he'll just go out and say it. Well, that's all right, because I think very little of him. <laughs> Before we move on from Ferrari, I just wanted to say that uh, one of the things that they did extremely well was uh, was their pit stops. Did anyone notice that? No. They had the best pit stops of any team in that race by a mile, 2.2 seconds, twice, which is, uh, which is pretty impressive these days. And it's that that helped them get ahead of the Williams, I think. I mean, it's impressive, yeah, but is it... 
It is. Yes. I mean, isn't it getting so quick that you don't even know they've done it? It's gotten to the point now where I can be half asleep. They say the Ferrari coming to the pits. By the time I've gone, they've finished the pit stop. I might as well stay asleep. That's more of an indictment of Formula One generally, I think, and also early starts. And me. And my dying body. Okay, what about Williams? So Bottas was in fifth and Massa in 17th. Oh, Massa. He was basically driving on a different time zone, wasn't he? He was just like, oh, what's the time in Japan? Is it seven hours ahead? Because I'm three laps behind with nowhere to go. He did have a bit. I didn't actually see the... Surprising considering the amount of the, the cameras were, were focusing away from Mercedes, but I didn't actually see the crash between him and... It was and, uh, Ricardo, Ricardo and someone else yeah. squeezed into the middle. It was Ricardo or Ricciardo and someone else Ricciardo squeezed him in the middle and Massa just went ah oh, fuck it I'll give it a go tyres everywhere bits of car that giraffe I talked about earlier it's great it didn't end well for either of them so yeah Massa's race was screwed before it even started but uh, Bottas was looking better than him all weekend really qualified third Massa was fifth Massa immediately dropped right down to the back ended up 17th Bottas did alright but the car's not as fast as a Ferrari wasn't it Bottas' first kind of proper not-shit race for ages? He's never Williams been shit, put, he's just been not quite as spectacular as we all thought he would be. But I mean, like, the Williams putting the wrong tyres on or screwing up his qualifier. I think it's his first uneventful race. Oh, I see I what you mean. Okay, so what about Red Bull? <laughs> Good lord, that was a bad weekend for them, wasn't it? My word. It was terrible. As if they haven't got enough problems at the moment. But, I mean, it started bad before the race even began with, with Kvyat and his, uh, his airborne acrobatics in, uh, in qualifying. So can I now go back and say that gravel is fantastic? I think there should just be more gravel. I couldn't tell the difference. Why was gravel so good? Well, because he dug in when he slid off the track and did a complete barrel roll. When you've got big open modern tracks where when you go off, you just go over a little car park and you scoot back around and get back on the track. Yeah. That's boring. In the Japanese circuit, they've got big gravel traps. And when you go off, your car digs in and like you know you like you stub your toe in gravel and you trip over. It's like that. And he dug in Did you hear afterwards what he called his incident? He referred referred to it as a bit of a rolling procedure. Well, that guy's got charisma. <laughs> But he did proceed to, uh, to roll it spectacularly. So he, he obviously was out of qualifying, so he started right at the back in, in 20th place. Ricardo did all right, was seventh, but it just all went wrong in the race. I mean, obviously, Kvyat start from the back, couldn't really get very far, ended up 13th. Ricardo crashed with Massa, as we've discussed, also got a puncture, ended up 15th. Also, they were pretty much all we saw because of not being able to see what's going on with friends. So they were the most exciting things going on. Watched them not do very well. So let's move on to Lotus. Grosjean. Uh, the man of the moment. Exactly. Um, in seventh. An alright race for Lotus. Qualified in 8th uh, for Grosjean and 11th for Maldonado, which is impressive considering I don't think they'd had any food because their financial woes meant that they had to do all their interviews in the rain during practice and uh, had to be fed by Renault apparently and <laughs> locked out of their hospitality on the Thursday. Which That's embarrassing, isn't they it? They really piss Red Bull off. Why is that? The Renault were giving them sandwiches. Better sandwiches than engines. Well, yeah. Just, just there going, oh, look, shouldn't you, shouldn't you not be busy fixing our engine, not making bloody sandwiches for those tossers? So, yeah, Grosjean finished seventh. Maldonado finished eighth. Maldonado climbed several positions. As far as I'm aware, didn't have a crash. Grosjean did pretty well. Nailed his position for, his, you know, cementing his talent for next season's back of the field team okay so Toro Rosso Verstappen in ninth and Saints in 10 do we want to go straight in with uh, with the Sainz's pitting incident so basically Carlos Sainz Jr was um, 
coming into the pits and he was like oh I quite fancy listening to that uh, Fleetwood Mac cassette I've got and he was there in his glove box and he picked up the tape and he was like is this Rumours or is this that other one and as he was doing that didn't realise that there was a bollard right in front of him crashed right into it that's the only explanation was he looking for uh, the chain no I deliberately didn't mention the chain I was trying to think of any other Fleetwood Mac song despite the fact it was him looking for Fleetwood Mac he's blaming Maldonado well, apparently the actual reason as to why he crashed is that Toro Rosso were trying to react. He was, he was racing Maldonado at the time. And when he was going to pit was dependent on when Maldonado was going to pit. And he thought Maldonado was going to dive into the pits. But then Maldonado didn't dive into the pits. So Science thought, oh, right, in that case, I'm going to dive into the pits. But he did it far too late and he smashed into a bollard and knackered his front wing. And actually not just his front wing, damaged his floor and so affected his pace. And also rather hurt his pride. Well, yes. <laughs> which, let's face it, is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it is when you teen with Verstappen, who well, is just... Who is 18. It, well, he is now. He wasn't on the race, but uh, yeah, who I thought had another good race. He had problems in qualifying as well after his car just stopped and he just left it in the middle of the track. So not only did he start at the bottom of that group in 15th or whatever, he then got a penalty for leaving it in a stupid place. So started 17th, fought his way back up, overtook Sainz in his broken car, finished 9th. Points. Not bad. Force India, Hulkenberg in 6th, Perez in 12th. Perez's first appearance in the race was sort of backwards <laughs> as he skittered <laughs> off into the gravel at the start. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he came back, though, didn't 12, he? Is it? He did come back quite well. Um, I mean, he, he finished 12, so he didn't get any points. Yeah, but who did, eh? Well, Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg oh. finished sixth. Oh, good which on I him. thought was pretty good, considering he's not in a Mercedes, a Red Bull, or a Williams. I'm glad he's doing well. He's had a of a time. <laughs> <laughs> he's had to get by on just one Le Mans win. <laughs> Both of the drivers have been announced for staying next year. They don't need to worry anymore. And maybe maybe that was why Paris spun off. He's just not trying. He's like, ah, I've got to try for next year. Exactly. He's, he's fine. He's you know he's thinking about his next holiday. So let's go on to uh, one of our favourites. Chat about McLaren. I've been looking forward all season to finally get to the point where we can say at last McLaren have got a grip on their problems. wasn't Wasn't this weekend, was it? Well, no. I think they've got a grip on their problems. It's a very loose grip, but they realise that they're at the bottom of the barrel and there's not much further to go. At the track owned by Honda, with all the Honda executives there. The track which, let's remember last year when they, the Japanese Grand Prix, they announced how the McLaren Honda team were going to be back to full glory by this time next year. I think they said, didn't they, what was the quote from Ron? We might not win a race at the start of the season, but we think we'll win one by the end. I mean, there's still a few races left. <laughs> Could happen. Could be some giraffe on the track that takes out everyone else. <laughs> but I mean, be- only bearing in mind that things are not maybe as great as they hoped they would be, all they needed to do really was just try and keep it sensible, you know, keep the Honda guys happy while they're in their backyard and just, just not do anything that might reflect badly on them. What did they do? Well, the um, first one was in qualifying where they screwed up buttons, something or other. And he gave that kind of shitty radio message saying, like, when we're this far down, can we not make simple mistakes? I'd forgotten about that one, but yeah, that was the start of it. And then in the race, Alonso was somehow in front of people. I can't quite remember. Maybe it was all the accidents at the beginning, but he was somehow in front of some people somehow. And then, of course, inevitably, they all overtook him. And uh, he announced uh, that it was actually embarrassing and compared it to driving a GP2 car in front of all the top brass, in front of Ron, on the circuit that Honda owns. I thought that was the most entertaining moment of the race, to be honest. It was great. Mm. I, I do wonder if it was slightly deliberate by Alonso. There's a soap opera going on at McLaren that I don't think we're particularly privy to because of 
closed doors, but he must have, I mean, Alonso's a clever well, guy, he's been cl- in this game a long time, he must have known what he was doing to say that there. I don't think hit these are games behind closed doors, because if Alonso's last tenure at McLaren's anything to go by, he's been ripping those doors off the motorhomes, <laughs> well, he's been threatening to. Are they going to be racing with him next year? Who knows? Ron Dennis was, was collared by journalists afterwards from both Sky and the BBC on the UK well, coverage. David Coulthard. Just Regardless, I heard, it, I, heard him, uh, I heard him being interviewed and frankly saying more than he normally says. But he says that both drivers will be there next year, that they had an option to keep them there and they intend to fulfil that option. So Ron, as far as Ron's concerned, they're staying. Button, we thought last week, would have confirmed his future by this weekend. Didn't. Fended off questions in the pre-race press conference, left, right and centre. I wouldn't be at all surprised if both drivers want to go. But... If they're legally obliged to stay, what will happen? I read a, a theory that they're not saying what they're doing so that Dennis doesn't drop their wages in this time of financial problems because he needs them there for sponsorship and then so he'll keep it high and then they'll say yes. I don't know if wages necessarily have that much to do with it. I mean, neither Alonso or Button are short of a few bob. I mean, they're both former world champions who've been in the game for a long time, so I can't imagine that they're holding out for a couple of extra million. But I think it's going to be interesting to see what they want to do because from, from McLaren's point of view, when they've got such a shit car with a shit engine and they want it to be better next year, surely they want the most experienced drivers that they can possibly get to help develop the car, not a couple of new guys. You know, n- nothing against uh, you know, Magnussen and Van Dorn and all these guys who are, who are great drivers, but they're young. They don't have the experience of F1 to be able to give that kind of feedback and, and recommend how to make the car well, better. Well, you say that, but Alonso and Button's feedback is hardly helped this year, is it? <laughs> it's rubbish, Ron. So next we've got Sauber, Ericsson in 14th, and NASA did not finish wasn't great for them again considering they got it's a high speed relatively high speed track and they've got Mercedes engines they qualified in 15th and 16th Ericsson climbed one place to 14th NASA didn't finish Mana Rosie in 18th Stevens in 19th let's just talk about Will Stevens drift champion that was such a spin I'm going to do a spin right next to my teammate he's going to <laughs> potentially crash into me but well, he didn't Japan is the spiritual home of drifting and that was absolutely spectacular as he came around with smoke firing completely sideways smoke pouring off the tyres it was brilliant and it, it made me think that let's face it Mana are so slow they're not going to get in the running for anything this year surely they should boost their visibility on TV by just deliberately being spectacular I want to see Rossi and Stevens at the Russian Grand Prix synchronise side by side <laughs> drifting around every single corner or donuts wants to do the spin there's smoke everywhere when the smoke clears what's that there it's Will Stevens with an open suitcase going I got some perfume for sale <laughs> only a fire ago <laughs> So let's move on to your questions. Terry, what have you got this week? Well, I put a Facebook post up and we've had two people comment on the post. Andreas, who has commented before, has asked, didn't see the race, what did I miss? Um, (laughs) Not a lot. Not much, to be honest. And Hakim Sharif has asked a Honda question. He says, does Honda have any chance in hell of actually being good next year? Or are they just stuck with the fact they analysed all the engines on the field and decided that the smaller one would definitely be more powerful? The smaller one? Their one. It's the um, same size as all the others. Is it though? Yes. It's a 1.6 litre uh, turbocharged V6. Yeah, but that's a, that's a number. What about, is it actually bigger or smaller? It's, it's 1.6 litres. It's the same. Yeah, no, no. That, that's, the, that's the size of like, the valve. 
I mean, no. that's the engine. <laughs> is it like a trim engine? It's, no, 1.6 litres is the capacity of the engine. That dictates kind of how big it is. I mean, they might have some unnecessary gump on the edge of it, but I No, don't know. I think they've got less. It's too small. Well, this might be beyond my engineering expertise. As far as I'm aware, they are the same as everybody else. It's a 1.6 engine. It's just that theirs isn't very good. They should put more engine on it. <laughs> I think they're slightly constrained by rules. My understanding is this is not like road car engines. The tolerances on these engines are so fine. And so trying to get more power out of them is not as simple as just, you know, taking it it for a bit of a... Or making more engine. So they just haven't done a very good job of it. But could it get better by next season? Well, I believe that the restrictions... bigger? (laughs) The restrictions of what they can do over the winter are much fewer than in season very cold in japan (laughs) in season you're restricted in what you can do to the engine so if you start with a duffer you're pretty much screwed but i believe that there are far fewer restrictions over the winter so they can do a lot more to it whether that means they'll do anything good i don't know because as we've discussed already they have a load of people that don't have a huge amount of f1 experience and they're obstinately refusing to get outside people in so the question is do they just try and keep making this engine better, stroke bigger, or do they start from scratch? Well, my understanding is that they can change so much that, you know, might as well be a new engine. It, w- it won't be, I think. They have to adapt what they've got at the moment, but they can do a lot to it. So there is a chance that it could be really good. I, mean, I, the wouldn't, I wouldn't put money on it. The difference yeah. for Ferrari last year and this year means a step is possible, but I don't have the confidence that it's going to happen. Okay, so that is your question answered. If you have your own, tweet us at For F1's Sake or find us on Facebook where we're FF1F. So let's go on to Phil Troma's news round. <laughs> Good evening, CBBC. <laughs> News then. I don't think uh, cider's helped my cold. <laughs> no, meeting in a cider bar was probably a bad idea, but it is really Couldn't cheap. we meet at a Vicks bar? So news. There's a lot of news. We've already touched on the uh, the Grosjean issue, but let's talk about Formula One going to the EU, because that was just announced today as well. Force India and Sauber have launched an official complaint to the EU Competitions Commission um, about the way that revenue is divided and the way that the rules are decided. That rhymes. Uh, that's not why they're complaining, though. Basically, the big five teams got $249 million last year on top of their competition winnings. That big five being Ferrari, McLaren, Red Bull, Williams, and Mercedes. And Force India and Sauber are understandably not very happy about this, and they think that there should be investigations uh, that need to happen from the EU to say, Oi, divvy it up a bit more fairly and stop getting the big teams to make up the rules to the game because it's, it's like asking Manchester United to make up the rules to football it's ridiculous so um, what is the justification behind that 249 million what, what, what do they say it's for well essentially the big five teams got together with Bernie and said we want a load of money or we're doing something else Bernie so they said, all said okay we'll sign up to stay in the sport until 2020 we guarantee not to leave but you've got to give us extra money to make it worth our while and Bernie said okay this is Bernie on behalf of CVC Capital Partners. So, Fonsinger and Sauber are saying that CVC Capital Partners have a financial bias towards these big five teams. And this is something that's actually been on the cards for a while. It was previously raised uh, in the EU Parliament by a UK MEP, but the Competitions Commission said, look, without a formal complaint, we can't do anything. So now there's been a formal complaint. Forsinger and Sauber have stuck their head above was the parapets and going, we pr- apparently so, yeah. Oh, I could have done one. Well, you <laughs> It could well have been. That would have been a great material for the podcast. And frankly, you've missed a trick there, Terry. You can tell you're off your game. Do you think it'll work? Who knows? I mean, 
it's not I, I'm of the opinion that it, the way things are at the moment are not right something needs to be done and it's good that they're looking at this exactly what will happen who knows there could be some sort of ruling I don't know how long these things take there could be a fine it could mean that Bernie cancels his financial deals with the big teams which frankly will only benefit Bernie but it's not right and it should be looked at so good on Force India and Sound with a stick in the head above the parapet but let's not be surprised if in the next race we don't see any TV coverage of them what will happen is they will possibly win after a many years long legal battle which in the process will make both of them bankrupt and they will win but not have a Formula 1 team anymore well, I presume that they got to the they got to the stage where where they were worried that this was going to happen anyway. I mean, you know, in Formula One, why would you go up against Bernie and CBC? He's dead. <laughs> well, we've been saying that for twenty years, and <laughs> he's still around. But I mean, this is I, I, this is quite bold. This is not something. I mean, I, I, would, I wouldn't like complaint to against Bernie's life. <laughs> I wouldn't like to uh, to be in that position. They must. They must. I would have thought have got to the position where they were like we've got to do something or we're in all sorts of trouble basically if you don't understand the very complicated legal and political process put it this way Force India is Thelma and <laughs> Sauber is Louise and they are currently driving over that cliff okay so Phil what about your news point Renault is actually buying Lotus yes it's been rumoured for ages well hang on they're not actually buying Lotus are they well they've said they probably will they've signed a letter of intent which is I such mean, beautiful legal language <laughs> I've written you a letter which says I will buy your team as long as it turns out you haven't been lying to me. They've gone to Lotus's dad to ask permission to beg the hand in marriage. Uh, and Lotus's dad is, ironically, Renault. Well, the timing is, is particularly important here because Lotus, as we've discussed before, are in all sorts of financial trouble. and They were due in court on Monday. Uh, where they were about to be shouted at by a judge for not paying a very large amount of money to Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs in unpaid and taxes. the sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, and sandwiches. But the fact that Renault has, uh, has signed this saying, look, we, we, we're almost definitely going to buy the team, or at least a controlling interest in the team, means that the judge has said, OK, you've got until December the 7th. They've basically bought themselves some time. Um, it, it's been and an open secret that Renault were interested. <laughs> Renault were interested in buying Lotus, and it now looks like it is going to happen, uh, or at least that they're going to have a big stake in it and, and rebadge it as a Renault. And well, they're not going to have a stake with their hospitality being locked out, are they? Well, well I mean, the, 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 issue, the issue with money is so bad. They owe HMRC two point seven million pounds in unpaid taxes. Apparently, what if? How can they get away with that? What if, right? Instead of paying the taxes back, they agree to let HMRC sponsor the team? That would be pretty awesome. Well. I mean, we, it's this time is not, your tax return. This is not beyond the realms of possibility. Do you remember last year when Caterham, was it last year? Yeah, whatever it was, when Caterham were going to the wall and they had the administrator as the team principal and he went oh to the races. God, I'm just on a jolly. Yeah. He basically went for all the cameras going, I don't know anything about F1, but oh, we better, better make this work. It didn't. Basically, this means that Lotus are, as far as I can tell, in a much better position now. Somebody will pay off their debts at some point. They've got a bit of time to reorganise everything and sort things out for next year. They've lost the only downside is that, that they're being bought by Renault. And of course, that means that if they do race next year, they'll have a Renault engine. Or if, unless it gets lost on the way. <laughs> Another question that's come up is what does the Volkswagen scandal mean for the group's entry into Formula One? Well, yes, we touched briefly on this last week because I think it literally broke in the day that we recorded after Singapore. And boy, has that blown up. So for anybody that's been living under a rock, Volkswagen are in all sorts of trouble. This is the group, not just the brand. Not just one car. It's not just one car. Not just Herbie. It's not just the Volkswagen. All of them. Volkswagen have been found guilty of cheating testing emission laws in the US. Heads have rolled. 
the boss, Martin Wintercorn, is gone. He won't be the last. Other people will go as well. They're likely to get a stonking great fine from, at the moment, the US, but more than likely other countries as well. It's apparently affecting cars from other brands within the group, including Audi and Skoda. They've all been sort of fiddling these emissions thing. Criminal charges are being talked about. So up until last week, Audi were heavily being touted as coming into Formula One. This is the VW group badging an engine as an Audi, uh, possibly tying up with Red Bull in a couple of years. I'm not sure it's going to happen now. Christian Horner has been quoted as saying the deal seems to have gone up in smoke. There has, but there was an article on motorsport.com. <laughs> oh, did he really say that? He did say that, actually. I don't know if he was being deliberately right, punished. I've only just got that. That's quite oh. good. Kate Walker on motorsport.com, has, uh, who, who knows a thing or two about F1, has suggested that actually, whoa, what better way to rebuild your reputation than to slap your brand on, on Formula One? Because Formula One is such, such a great reputation. It's doing very well for Honda. Honda are coming out of it really oh, well. They're looking great, aren't they? But um, logic suggests that a massive great find means less money for, for F1 ventures maybe even for motorsport generally there's talk of models you know across the range at Lamborghini and Bentley and stuff not happening now perhaps because you know they need to put all this money into not going bust I mean they have a huge amount of money they're a massive company so do you think they'll do it I don't know enough about it I do (laughs) come on Terry what do you think they will okay let's talk about junior teams yes let's Red Bull's got Toro Rosso for ages, and there's rumours that the new Haas team, as it's being supplied by Ferrari, is basically a junior Ferrari team. They've got Grosjean coming in, who rumours suggest has some sort of deal with Ferrari. Maybe he'll go into the full team later on. I think the next driver will be Gutierrez, who's also been Ferrari's reserve test, something or other driver. And there's also rumours that Mercedes are considering adopting Manor almost as a Merck junior team, all very much in the Toro Rosso mould, because Manor are obviously going to have Merck engines next year. I want to know what you guys think about this. Does this mean that there's too much domination of the teams by the big names, or is it a good way of bringing in young drivers? Terry. It's a bad thing. Thanks, Terry. Chica. It's a good thing. Brilliant. That brings me on to this week's State of Formula One. This week, my State of Formula One missive is titled Red Bull Go Home. I am fucking sick of that stupid energy drink team. Right? Now, I've prepared a thing. If ever there is an argument that we need teams like Sauber and Force India and Williams, teams that have racing in their DNA, teams that are there just to race and not to be an offshoot of another business, it's the fact that Red Bull are threatening to walk out and take two teams with them, four cars next year, because they haven't got an engine because they've pissed all over their Renault deal. And they're going to now fuck off, potentially, and leave all those staff in the lurch. They're they're leaving the grid decimated. They've said to Bernie, oh, you know, we'll stay till 2020, so we get an extra 250 million every year. But if they leave, they're going to have to pay upwards of a billion pound in fines. And they'll still rather do that than have the indignity of coming fifth. Oh, well, boo fucking who? Williams have been shit for years. Do you see them complaining? Force India haven't got a fucking chance of winning a race. Sauber, what's the point? If you go down your way of going, we should all have junior teams, what's the point of this, this, the other ones? Well, the other ones are the ones that are there. They're the backbone of Formula One. And if we lose the it's constructor teams, we've lost Formula One. Over the years, we've had Honda, last minute at the end of the Honda Formula One team, just going, oh, fuck it, we're done, we're shit. And only because Mercedes and Braun came in do we get that team carrying on. We had Renault going, oh, one of our guys has cheated, right, we're going to fuck off. You know, And now we've got Red Bull going, oh, we're going to fuck off. 
having the the big money ruling Formula One is bad for Formula One because as soon as they want to get out, as soon as it's done for them, they will go and they don't give a shit what they leave behind. And if I may use an analogy, some might say it's not in the Red Bull's DNA to trundle around like the back, but all they've done is buy a shite team, Jaguar, spend, spend, spend for years, hire the right staff and wait. It's like the American GIs coming over in the wall with their access to silk stockings and prophylactics taking our girls away. But what happens when Mr. Hitler is defeated? Brad and Chuck won't stick around and raise little Terry. They'll be gone, gallivanting with scooters and parachutes, that's where. And poor old sickly Frank Williams will still be chugging along. And that nice boy, Ron Dennis, will be trying to ply his good old honest trade. You should have married one of them, shouldn't you, Doreen? And I think... Nothing else to say. Yes, summarised quite nicely. <laughs> You've got an interesting in- insight into your upbringing here. So, Terry, what is the state of Formula One then? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm not feeling very well. If good Formula One is perfect health, run a marathon, and bad Formula One is on your deathbed, then I think that Formula One has got a real hacking cough and you shouldn't be drinking cider. Okay, um, on that note, of this positive outlook on Formula One, let's talk about our predictions for Russia. Okay, I think the podium's going to be uh, Hamilton, well, Rosberg what, what and, and Vettel. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, you've stolen my gig. What happened last year? Hamilton was in pole and in lead for every lap. Second was Rosberg. I don't think anything exciting happened to him. Um, Ro- Bottas was in third and set fastest lap. Button in fourth good old days and Magnussen in fifth I think Magnussen could do well this year I think there's going to be something big with McLaren this weekend I don't know what it's going to be but it's going to be big you mean in terms of performance or some sort of massive tantrum some kind of massive political big oh I'm thinking about I can't I remember Hamilton won last year I can't actually remember much about the race I remember that um, it was Putin Russia's was there and he sat next to Bernie <laughs> and they watched the race a bit it was Russia's first race wasn't yeah. it I don't remember Sergei, any of it. They had Sergei Sorokin driving practice. I've got a feeling that they've wiped all our memories of it. <laughs> I think it was really boring. I think it was the epitome of boring. I don't oh. remember it being a classic race, no. Well, oh, Magnussen no. came fifth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in first. Uh, Hamilton's going to win. No, no, I'm getting in first. It's Hamilton, <laughs> Rosberg Hamilton? and Vettel. Right. Hamilton, followed by Vettel. Followed by Kvyat at his home race. Right, mine was a double bluff. That's not my prediction. <laughs> my prediction is going to be... I just didn't want you getting the boring one where you go, oh, I think it's going to be the obvious one again. <laughs> Rosberg winning, Hamilton out. Second's going to be Raikkonen. And third is going to be Perez. What? Oh, my God. Oh, went there. I think it's going to be Hamilton, Rosberg and Raikkonen. Oh, again. You're going to keep sticking with that. So, tell us how wrong we are by tweeting us at For F1's Sake. Until then, goodbye to Phil Tromans. We haven't had time to talk about uh, Michelin, or however you want to pronounce it, the tyre company, uh, erstwhile of this Formula 1 parish, saying they'd quite like to come back, possibly for 2017. Uh, and they say that their tyres will be awesome, unlike and Terry Saunders we haven't spoken about what I think should be the new catchphrase in Formula 1 which is when the guy in the podium interview in English being a second language tried to say you've still got some champagne in your ear Lewis said there's still some alcohol in the ear right (laughs) I didn't see that that's amazing (laughs) bye I'm Chica Ayres and we'll be back in two weeks time for the Russian Grand Prix 
Sports Social Podcast Network.